0: Well, if you have a Bible tonight, I'm going to ask you to open it to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is uh, where we've been. We've been walking through on Sunday mornings um, the book of Mark uh, for quite a while now, and uh, we are just about to get a quarter of the way through it. Uh, It feels like a milestone to me. I don't know about you, but uh, uh, I am enjoying going through the book of Mark I appreciate my wife uh, singing. Um, In so many ways, God was good to me, amen? (laughs) So um, I appreciate you singing tonight. Let's look at this together. Mark chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything now we come to this section and it is a large section last week we we looked at the parable of the sower the soils as it's referred to and we looked at a large chunk there and today we tonight we will take these three other parables that follow up and i would remind you that Jesus said of the parable last week, how can you understand all the other parables if you don't understand this one? What Jesus was saying was that that one, the parable of the soils, it was the key. It is the key to what was to follow. We also looked at the fact that that was a defining moment in how he addressed the crowds. It was from that point forward he spoke to the crowds in nothing but parables, and it was, a, it was an act of judgment. He was speaking to them in stories that seemed, would seem somewhat familiar, but they would be really vague on a lot, of, in a lot of avenues, and they wouldn't really understand what they meant, and Jesus was doing it intentionally because it was an act of judgment because they had hardened their hearts. They had been offered the truth plainly many, many times, and they had continued to reject and to reject and to reject. And Jesus finally says, no more. From this point forward, I will speak to them in parables and they will not understand, but then I will explain those parables to those who are my true followers in private. And that's what he does. I've, title this sermon by really just a simple phrase in the middle of this passage. The title of this sermon is, Pay Attention to What You Hear. Because I would also remind you that in last week's text, as well as this one today, it is largely about hearing. It is very much about listening. And you see this in the passage. Uh, In verse 3 of chapter 4. Jesus says, listen, exclamation mark. In chapter 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 12, he says, so that they may indeed hear but not understand. In verse 15, when they hear. 16, when they hear the word. 18, those who hear the word. 20, those who hear the word and accept it. It continues into our passage tonight. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. Verse 33, with many such parables he spoke to them as they were able to hear it. And it's obvious that this entire section, these 34 verses that are tucked together here, some would say these are a collection of random parables, random stories that may have been told at different times, and this particular writer just sort of threw them all together. Is that what we believe about the Bible? No. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God wrote through men, but he did it perfectly. That our Bibles didn't come together as a matter of chance. That they are not organized chaotically, but they are organized intentionally so here when we have these 34 verses and over and over and over again he says hear listen I think we better get the point that it's about how we hear many of you know you've read in scripture that as a teacher when I stand before you particularly as a pastor when I stand before you and I open the word of God I'm held to a higher standard I'm held to to give a higher account. The Bible says not many of you should become teachers because you will be held to a stricter judgment. If there is such a weight put on me to prepare and to preach sermons week in and week out, doesn't it stand to reason that there is also a large weight put on you to listen? You can't have one without the other. It would be ridiculous for, for God to tell me prepare and teach and it is so important i'm going to hold you to a stricter standard but then tell you it really doesn't matter how you listen it doesn't really matter if you listen at all i think the point that we need to walk away with tonight is that for you you have just as big a part in this thing week in and week out call the sermon as i do be prepared pay attention to what you hear so how do you do that? How, how do you pay attention to what you hear? Uh, verse 23, he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, that's the first prerequisite. If anyone has ears to hear. The, you have to have ears. And Look around. At least most of us in the room tonight have ears, right, on our heads. You know, I, I think most of us do. But that's not the kind of ears he's talking about. He's talking here about spiritual ears. And not everyone has spiritual ears. Because the Bible says that outside of Christ that we are spiritually dead. That we are spiritually deaf. We can't hear. And when Jesus here decides to tell them everything from that point forward to the crowds in parables. And then he would add a statement. He who has ears let him hear. He was pointing to his sovereign control even in that. that he would give the ears to hear. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, the Bible says. But to those of us who are being saved, oh, it's life. It's the sweetness of life. It's the best thing we've ever heard. The gospel is incredible. Sometimes I wonder... I don't so much wonder anymore because when I first started out in ministry, I thought, boy, if I could just get better at my preaching, if I could just get better at my teaching and my delivery, boy, they would all come. And I would preach my heart out and I would go through it and then give the invitation no one would come and I would leave dejected and I would feel like I had failed for the week. And then God showed me this. It is not my responsibility to give people ears. God gives ears. God opens our ears to the truth and shows us the gospel in a way that we understand it. That it makes sense. The person next to you says, boy, that was just long and boring today. And you're sitting there thinking, no. No, it wasn't. It was the word of life. And that's because God has given you ears to hear. Verse 21, he says to them, well, that's what it says. He said to them, them. It's a clue here that when we go into this this next section that he's talking not to the crowd anymore, but he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to those of us who have ears to hear and who are listening and who are following after him. In verse 24, when he says, pay attention to what you hear, it can be translated literally be understanding or be seeing what you are hearing. A quick way to say it simply would be to listen carefully. Don't just endure the sermon. (laughs) I love uh, occasionally standing at the back of the church as we're going out. And I don't do it every week, but I love being back there from time to time and hearing people come by. And inevitably, someone will say, I, you know, you get a whole lot of, that was good today, preacher, or uh, thank you for preaching today. It was, bless my heart today, preacher. And then every now and then you'll get somebody that says, well, you were long today. And boy, uh, you know, just twist it, you know but I'm glad to be known as long. Glad to be known as long. I'm not here to tickle your ears and tell you what you want to hear and entertain you. I'm here to give you the word of life, the gospel, the word of truth, God's word. And we should celebrate that. It's the greatest privilege that we have been given. It's the greatest gift of God that we have been given. You say, now wait a minute. I thought our salvation was the greatest gift we've been given. Well, yes, yes. But would we understand salvation apart from the Word of God? No. The Word of God is the greatest gift that we have ever been given. We should treasure it, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So we shouldn't just endure the sermon or endure the teaching. Uh, how, many, how many Bible study teachers do we have in the room, Sunday school teachers? Just lift your hand. Got a few across the room, kind of sprinkled here and there. Don't you love it when your class, when they listen to you? You do, right? Nobody likes... Now, y'all don't listen. Y'all just go to sleep. Nobody says that. You love it for them to listen. So how should we listen? I'm going to give you four things from the text tonight as to how we should listen. If we are going to make much of our evangelistic mission, the reason we have been left here on the planet, then we must learn how to listen. We must learn how to listen well. First... We must listen, coming in, having made up our mind that we will apply it. (laughs) There's a novel thought, right? We would actually take it and do something with it. How many sermons have you sat through in your lifetime when you've walked out and done nothing with what you've heard? It's not the intent. Look at verses 21 and 22 of chapter 4. It says, Jesus said, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What Jesus is saying there is you have had the light of the gospel turned on in your life. You've been made a lamp. Don't go hiding your life and your light under a basket. Remember the song that we used to sing growing up. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. You know, and we would sing it, and you know, whatever the line was, not Satan, not gonna let Satan get out. You remember that line? Jesus here is saying that the light's been shown in your life. You've been given ears to hear. You weren't given the truth or the light of the Word of God, the light of the gospel, to hold it to yourself. You were given the light to be put on a lampstand and shine. If you give a kid a flashlight, what's that kid going to do? Turn it on. Where are they going to shine it? In your face most of the time. Anywhere but where you want them to shine it is where they're going to shine it, right? But a lot of times, they're going to take that light, and it's going to wind up right in your eyes. You're going to say, quit shining that thing in my my eyes. Get it out of my face. But I think it's a picture of what we do a lot of times in the church. We've been given the light, and all we do is keep shining it at each other. We keep shining it at other people that have lights. And what we ought to be doing is we ought to take it out of this place and go shine it out in the darkness. Go show them the light of the gospel. They won't all get it. Remember the parable? When I I studied this this week, this was the major question that I wrestled with. I'm still wrestling with this question. How does this fit? He's talking about the seed being sown on the four different types of soil And then he goes to a lamp. What's the connection? The only connection that I can figure out is that light is another metaphor for the Word of God, just as the seed is. And you scatter the seed, you also shine the light. And the application for us tonight is application. Take the Word of God as you hear it, as it's taught, as you sit in your personal Bible study week in and week out, and as God reveals more light to you, apply it. That's why James said, don't be hearers only, but be doers of the Word. If you're simply a hearer of the Word, you are like a man who looks at his face intently in a mirror but walks away and forgets what he looks like. That's what James says. We must do. We must put into practice. That's what we've been talking about in in this verse that we've memorized all month long. I've struggled to memorize this verse because I didn't memorize it in the ESV. I memorized it in the New Living some time ago. And so it's, I know it in the New Living. Let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's a little different than what we've memorized in the ESV. But the truth is still the same. Take the light that you have been given and shine it. When the, word te- when, when the Bible tells us to go share the gospel, share the gospel. We shouldn't, we shouldn't organize a committee to figure out why we should share the gospel. We should take it at its face value and share the gospel on a personal level. And the Bible says to love your wife, love your wife, respect your husband, don't provoke your children to wrath. It's all those things, all that the Bible tells us, do it, because you've been set free to do it. Outside of Christ, you couldn't do it, and now in Christ, you can. i got to go on. The great picture here. Let me give you one, one other verse that, that goes with this. Philippians 2 verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what's going to happen when we as the church of God begin to take the word of God and apply it in our lives. We'll go out of this place and instead of them telling, saying things that are true of us and saying all they are is a bunch of hypocrites, I'm not saying you. You know as well as I do there are hypocrites in the church. We should go out of this place saying I'm not going to be able to do it perfectly, probably, but I want to do the best job I can at applying what I've heard today. How am I going to apply this message from the Word of God to my life today? Develop an action plan. And then when you go out there and you're trying in the power and the strength of the Lord to do what he tells you to do, at least they can't say, well, he's just a hypocrite. He preaches one thing, but he does another. Then they'll have to just make up stuff about you. Secondly, not only apply it, We should cherish it. This is how you should come in every week to listen to the Word of God, to listen to teaching, is cherishing it. Not just applying it, but to cherish it. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says, To them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And the picture here is that we've been given a great stewardship. I told you that this is the best gift that we've ever been given. And he says that if we will take the Word of God as he gives us the light, which is a metaphor for the Word of God, as he gives us more light, more truth. And if we will be faithful to take it and use it, then here he says, more will be added to you. There are people that walk around and spend their entire lives wondering why they don't grow, why they don't understand the truths of God, and why they just feel stale and stagnant, and why does it seem like everyone else is growing and I'm not? Well, start where you are. Start with the light of the truth of God's word that he has given you and steward that. Cherish that. And as you cherish that, he will give you more. Then he goes on and he says, to those who don't have, what they have will be taken away. So let's look at this. He says, for to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Luke 8.18 is the parallel passage to this verse. And instead of saying to the one who has not, what he has will be taken away, it says even what he thinks he has will be taken away. In other words, he's deluded. And so here we have in this portion, we have those who have and those who have not. What do they have? Well, it's easy to see. Jesus said, if you want to understand this parable... You gotta get this one back here. So what do they have? Well, we deduct that from the passage. They have ears to hear. To the one who has, they have ears to hear. They didn't make their ears, they didn't all of a sudden one day figure it out. They didn't get smart enough. They didn't say, I'm gonna to go to I'm gonna to go to Bible college and I'm gonna figure this thing out. Those are part of growing from time to time. But the ears in the first place to hear the word of God and understand it and comprehend it and cherish it, they were a gift. They were a gift from God. So they have ears to hear. They have good hearts or good soil. They're the ones who, when the sower sowed the seed of the word of God, it fell on good soil and it sprouted and sprung up and produced fruit. So God had prepared their hearts, their minds, to receive the truth. Not only had he given them ears to hear, but he cultivated the soil of their heart. They also had been given the seed, the word. And it had dropped down in and it had taken root. And what a gift they had been given. And then lastly, I think they have sower. You say, well, doesn't, don't the other ones, don't the other three soils that produce no fruit, didn't they have a sower as well? Yes, they did. We have a sower named Jesus who sows into our life. We have a teacher, a Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth. And we should be grateful for that. Well, what about those who have not? The Bible says here that those who have not, even what they have or what they think they have will be taken away. So what don't they have? What possibly don't you have? Well, you don't have the word. If you have not, then you don't have the word. You don't have the seed because if you remember the parable in verse 15, it fell on the path and the birds came and stole it away. And the birds there are a picture of Satan. And so you may tonight be deluded thinking that you have the word, but even what you think you have has been taken away. You don't have the word. You don't have roots. You don't have a real Saving faith. You're like the, um, the rocky soil. When the seed fell there, it sprang up quickly with great joy. But when the roots went down, they hit the bedrock. And when the sun came out in the heat of the day, it scorched away. Like Charles this morning who came to me and said, I realized that all this time, I've been counting on me. I thought I had roots, but I realized my roots were simply me counting on me. Charles came today and said that was hard to do, to stand before all these people that thought that I had been saved and to admit to them that I have not been saved. And he said, but I can't pretend any longer. I've got to get real roots. I've got to get real faith. They also don't have good soil. They don't have minds and hearts that are prepared. We should cherish the Word of God. We should cherish what we have. We have been given a great gift in the Word of God. And for those of us who have ears to hear, we have ears, we have minds that God is working in and preparing to hear. And how do you cherish? You should come in this way. You should come in every single week saying, God, Lord, would you give me ears to hear today? God, would you give me your truth today and let me understand it? When's the last time you came in like that? When's the last time you decided that on Saturday night you would not be out late and you would not do the things that everyone else is doing but instead that you would get to bed early so that your mind is clear and that in going to bed early before you lay your head down that you would say God tomorrow morning I'm going into your house with your people to worship you and God I want you to be glorified and I want to hear from you I want a fresh word from you give me ears to hear it's the last time you did that I stand up in this pulpit every week, and before I come into this pulpit every week, I pray every week, God, give me words to say. Give me a tongue to speak. Lord, don't let it be my words. God, they don't need to hear me. They need to hear you. And your responsibility is on the opposite end. God, let me hear. Cherish it. Third is this, that in listening... That we should depend on God as we sow it. That as we've listened, as we've applied it and cherished it, when we take it out of this place and we sow the Word of God, the truth of God, the gospel, that we should depend on God. That's what this next section in verses 26 to 29 is all about. The kingdom of God is as if a man sowed seed on the ground. He goes to bed. He wakes up. The seed is sprouted. How do you explain that? How do you explain a seed going into the ground and dying so that life could come forth? What do you do as a farmer to produce that other than sow the seed and water it? God does the rest of the work. God does it. It's the same way with the gospel. It's the same way with the gospel. You can go out of this place and you can strike up conversations with neighbors and family members and coworkers and friends, people at the gas station, wherever. You can strike up those conversations and you can sow a seed of the gospel into their life, into a simple conversation. And some of them, it'll sprout very quickly. Some of them, though, it'll never sprout some of them, as that relationship is nurtured and the gospel is continued to be sown into that, it'll grow. You know the the, the freeing aspect of this? God never says to us, go out of here and save people. Go out of here and convert people. And say it. And boy, I'm glad. Because I don't have a salesman's bone in my body. I don't. Nothing against salesmen, but I served with a pastor one time, and the pastor was, he had this mentality of, I've got to convince these people to accept Christ. And he pulled me aside one day and he said, Scott, you're going to be a great evangelist. But before you're going to be a great evangelist, you've got to learn how to close the deal. I said, What? Close the deal? This is my pastor. He's my boss. I don't want to be you know, too audacious with him. But even as a kid, I knew I don't close the deal. I simply present the gift. I simply sow the seed. And that's freeing. When you go out of this place... After hearing the word of God, ready to apply it and cherish it, when you go out of this place and take the gospel and sow it, it's not up to you to close the deal. Regeneration is the work of God alone. You can't explain it any other way. It's what John 1 says. 12 through 13 is talking about when it says, But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God does it. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Our hope is not in marketing or in setting a certain tone or a mood or in the music or or doing the invitations just right and playing on people's emotions. That's not our hope. Our hope is to take the Word of God and to sow it liberally. To sow it generously and then to let God grow the seed. That's what it means there when it says in verse um, let me find it. Uh, verse twenty. T- 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 well, twenty-eight. The earth produces it by itself. That phrase "by itself" is is in the original language. It's the word automai, which means it's where we get our our word "automatic." It just happens. They depend on God as you sow it. The last one is this: How do you listen to the Word of God? you trust god to grow it you trust god to grow it not just to not just in the initial stages but to grow this thing the kingdom of god in verses 30 through 32 i can't help but to think the reason he tells his disciples this parable is because this little group of ragtag Disciples are wondering, shouldn't this thing be bigger by now? I mean, if you're the Messiah, if you're the promised one, if you are Him, and we're talking about a kingdom, shouldn't this thing be bigger by now, Jesus? I mean, I know the crowds are coming, but when we don't have food and you're not doing miracles, they're not hanging around. They've watched Jesus pronounce judgment on those who are simply coming for those things. And they're looking around, this small group, and they're saying, but Jesus, this is not much of a kingdom, is it? And Jesus looks at them and he says to them in verse 30, with what should we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's It's like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You ever seen a mustard seed? Probably a lot of you have. Tiny. When I worked in the the feed store after high school, um, we'd we'd get those bags in and you'd, you'd mixed mustard in different mixes and all this, but just tiny, tiny seed. And there are seeds that are smaller. And what Jesus though is saying here is that in that particular economy that of that day, what they were sowing on their fields, that was the smallest seed that they were sowing. But it's tiny. I mean it's smaller than than the the lead of the pencil. If the lead broke off on a pencil, it's smaller than that by by far. Yet when this seed goes into the ground and it grows, in this particular climate, it would sometimes grow up to this large bush, almost a tree that would get as much as 15 feet tall. And the birds of the air would come and nest. And the picture here Jesus is giving them is, don't lose heart, don't give up, because what we are doing here, the kingdom of God that I am bringing is in its infant stage. It is still in seed form, but it is going to grow beyond your wildest imagination. No one would ever look at a seed that small and say that that bush, that tree would come out of that seed. But it's a miracle of God. And I would remind you of the history of Christianity. that Jesus was born into a manger was born to a teenage mother, amongst all sorts of controversy, placed in a manger, was brought from there to live a meager upbringing. He was raised as a carpenter's son. They probably didn't have a whole lot. His father died somewhere, somewhere in those first 30 years of his life, and so as the firstborn, he had to become the, the father figure or the man in the home. To his other brothers and sisters, take care of his mother. Around the age of 30, he begins to teach. He didn't have any upbringing, he'd never traveled outside of the one little particular region that he lived in. He begins to teach, and he begins to do amazing things. And he chooses some disciples, he chooses some fishermen, he chooses a tax collector. He chooses a political extremist. And he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they come and they follow him and they walk with him. They see him do amazing things, but eventually he's led to a cross. He's crucified. He's dead. They've all betrayed him. One has denied him. They scatter And three days later, he rises from the dead. And he appears to them. And when he appears to them, the Bible says that there's just a few of them. There's just a few. And over the period of next 40 days or so, he appears to about 500 disciples. That's it. Really not a whole lot larger than what we are here on a Sunday morning. About twice as large as we are here on a Sunday morning was really about all the disciples that Jesus produced While he was on the planet. You ever stop and think about that? There are guys today. Many guys today. That are pastoring churches. Much larger than what Jesus ever did. And then he leaves. He goes to heaven. And he says but wait. Wait in Jerusalem. And when my spirit comes on you. You're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem. Judea. Samaria. To the uttermost parts of the earth. And when they saw him leave. They must have thought. I don't know. They went back. And a few days later, the Spirit of God falls, and Peter stands up and preaches. And that day, 3,000 souls enter the kingdom of God. 3,000 people all of a sudden come under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. And for the first time ever, these were legitimate, and they saw it. They saw the beginning of this mustard seed begin to sprout. And a week later, 5,000 come. It's 8,000 strong now. Within a few days, twenty to 25,000 legitimate followers of Christ. It spreads from there. The, the church goes under persecution. And when the church is persecuted and they're threatened with, with martyrdom, they're going to kill them for following this Jesus. The church it scatters. And when it scatters, they didn't leave the gospel behind. They took it with them. The gospel went out into all those other surrounding regions and more followers came to Christ. And it spread eventually all over Europe and North Africa. And eventually there were people that got on a ship, on a boat, the Mayflower. They left and they came to the New World. They settled in the original colonies, which became the United States of America. 178 years ago, this church was founded as a part of the kingdom of God, as a part of the mustard seed. And the gospel is now going through all the world. It's going around the planet. There are still people that are unreached. But for the first time in human history, we know where those people are. We know where the unreached people groups are. And we have a strategy as to how we're going to reach them. And we can legitimately, for the first time in history, see Acts 1-8 to the uttermost parts of the earth as reachable. Isn't that amazing? Jesus here says to them, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? It's like a mustard seed. It's small, but when it grows, it will grow beyond your wildest imagination. Aren't you glad for the mustard seed? Aren't you glad that you're not in your personal faith there yet? Aren't you glad that he's not finished with you yet? And you say, but I don't, I don't know. I don't understand all of this, and I can't comprehend all of this, and I, I just... Sometimes I feel so inadequate and so dumb in this. I would remind you that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. God has sown the seed of the kingdom of God in your heart if you're a follower of his. If you can legitimately today say that he is Lord of your life, then even though you may feel inadequate and dumb, he has planted the kingdom in your heart. And he will, he says, what he started, he will complete. And he is producing in you the character of Christ. And one of these days, you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And one of these days, you're going to be given a glorified body. And you're going to forevermore be gathered around the throne of Christ. Not as an outsider looking in, but you're going to be gathered around the throne of Christ as joint heir with Jesus You're going to be gathered there as sibling, him being our elder brother. We've been adopted into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? Don't ever sell yourself short and say, I'll never get there. I'll never be one of those smart people in in the church. I'll never be a theologian. God may not want you to write textbooks, but he sure does want you to look like his son, and he will make it happen. So come every week as we pour over the word of God and we open it up and say, God, help me to hear. God, I desperately need to hear. Give me ears to hear. And help me to see it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. It is The greatest gift we've ever been given. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, help us to see your truth and to understand it. Convict us of sin when we are straying from you. Help us to, by faith, come back to you confessing our sin to you and watch you lord be faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness god grow us lord grow us conform us to the image of your son lord as we take the word as we take the gospel and we share it lord we are trusting you to produce life lord help us to apply it Lord, help us to cherish it. Lord, help us to be like trees planted by living water. Bear fruit in season and out of season because we cherish and love your word. Thank you for that gift. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.